The U.S. Chamber of Commerce and 16 other business lobbies said the new rules raised questions about China's international trade commitments. You're listening to the news on RTHK. That's going to create more turbulence. The economic statistics. A triple dip recession. Collapsing commodities. Monetary policy has to do the heavy lifting work. Money for nothing. Good morning. Well, when I came in this morning, it was raining. But on the other hand, it's also Friday, Friday, the 6th of February. And this is Money for Nothing with Richard Harris. And here are your business headlines for the day. Well, it's more of a shootout than a love-in. The Greeks and the Germans meet over the Greek debt crisis and just disagree. There's a stream of good earnings after the bell from New York, from Twitter, LinkedIn and GoPro. And Hong Kong home prices hit a record by rising over 13% in 2014. In other news, Pfizer announces a 17 billion purchase of Hospira, a provider of injectable drugs. Sony's Amy Pascal, head of the movie studio, resigns in the wake of the hacking attack on the company that revealed her private and embarrassing emails. She said, I'm energized to be starting a new chapter at this company I call home. And the iconic brand Radio Shack, where nerds of all ages would lust over electronic components and the latest digital gizmo, is no more. It closes in three hours' time. Well, to go through the business day with us this morning, we have Rakesh Merchandani of Ocean City Capital, who's hot off the plane from Mumbai, as our market commentator. Next, the group of taxation professionals, CPA Australia, has lent us Paul Ho to go through their report to the Financial Secretary on what tax measures Mr Chung should be bringing up in the forthcoming budget statement. And today is the day we've all been waiting for. It's the day that the Feng Shui Index is launched. We have CLSA's in-house soothsayer, and Feng Shui Apprentice, Marco Yao, to talk about how our market fo- will fortune this year. And our market commentator and guest host this morning is fund manager Puru Saxena, who manages discretionary investment portfolios for Puru Saxena Wealth Management. Good morning, Puru. Well, Puru is not there, so uh, we'll carry on with the news. Uh, the Greek drama continues to the final stop of the roadshow being in Germany, where Wolfgang Schauble and Yanis Yakoufakis, finance ministers of Germany and Greece respectively, met yesterday. Birgit Yenin at Bloomberg spoke on BBC and gave us the background of the talks. Basically, they met two politicians, which are not only from a different generation, but also from a total <coughs> different kind of political outlook. Schäuble is a conservative politician from the CDU, CSU, and basically it's, it's, he's confronted with a very left-wing outlook on the world. There was a very large bridge to be crossed over at this meeting already, and it was the first meeting. So one got the impression that really fundamentals had been discussed. Sort of where should Europe go? Is it necessary to do the reforms? And to what extent is Germany responsible um, in this whole process of helping countries which are not doing as well? So clearly they're not ideal best friends. That really you could see that, that Schäuble is moving away and the, the Greek minister had a very <clears throat> kind of elaborate, almost poetic view on Europe. Uh, for Schäuble, it was about that we have to solve a current political issue and taking a much more pragmatic view. Well, the Greek government has in fact moved quite a long way on its roadshow since it began its European tour when it had expected a more sympathetic hearing. 
The finance ministers yesterday finally agreed to disagree. At least that's what Schäuble thought until the Greek minister spoke in English. As Dr. Schäuble said, we didn't reach an agreement. It was never on the cards that we would. We didn't even agree to disagree from where I'm standing. From where I'm standing, we agreed to enter into deliberations as partners with a joint orientation towards a European solution for European problems. Varoufakis even poured salt into the wound by touching on the Great Depression that led to Germany's own Nazi past. Now, um, I know, Rikesh, you're, you focus more on India, but I'm sure you keep more than a watching brief on what happens uh, around the world. Uh, Varoufakis has been criticised for appearing in all these European capitals, not even wearing a tie. It's not really the way to talk to a bank manager, is it? Not not really. Uh, I think uh, a lot was expected of his uh, performance and his uh, view as the head of, uh, you know, basically, uh, I think he's taken his position very casually on this entire issue. Yes, rather, it, it seems rather strange, but maybe they're going to come around to, um, uh, to how the world really works a little bit later. Wall Street decided it was an update with the S&P index up 1.2% to end up at 2,063. The market is now flat in year 2015, having regained its early losses. Mark Heisel, the CEO of Global Credit at PIMCO, who's fresh from a business trip to Europe, discusses whether the difficulties in Europe will impact the U.S. economy. Well, the U.S. looks pretty good, Mark, and I think a lot of it is simply because the private sector is doing well with job creation, income growth, and also a a strong banking sector. And so corporate earnings, everything seems to be going well in the U.S. Interestingly enough, as you said, Mark, I was just back from Europe, and clients are increasingly looking to put money into the U.S. market, and the catalyst is global QE. Global QE is compressing yields outside the U.S. down to zero and even negative rates in places like Europe and Japan. And so those investors are increasingly looking to invest into the United States now. Piro, do you agree with uh, Mark Heisel that we're not really going to see uh, much of an impact on the U.S. as a result of what's happening in Europe? Well, I think overall the uh, stock markets of the developed world are going to probably appreciate for the next two to three years. And our view has been this for the last two or three years. We felt that assets in the developed world were likely to do well uh, in relation to the emerging world. And so far, this is exactly what's played out. And QE, although it's not a very big help for the real economy, it doesn't really translate into very strong GDP growth. It does tend to benefit the asset prices significantly because of a shift in investor sentiment and a search for yield. The fat cats, you mean? Absolutely. (laughs) And anybody else who happens to own assets. Uh, And stocks are rising. Housing has bottomed out in the US. We think that a recovery is taking place in Europe as well. Japanese assets have done pretty well reasonably. Well, recently. let's, let's um, talk about uh, markets a little bit in the rest of the world. Last night, Europe was flat on the German-Greek snafu, with the exception of Athens itself, which fell 3.4%, led by the banking sector. Hong Kong will open this morning at 24,765 after a small rise yesterday, while yesterday Shanghai Composite fell 1.2% to 3,137. The dollar sunk overnight against major currencies as the volatility surrounding the bounce in the oil price over the last few days subsided with the euro trading at 115 to the dollar the yen has improved a touch to 117 yen 14 while sterling is at 153 or that's 1177 uh, hong kong dollars to the pound
Brent crude fell in Europe and then rose overnight to settle at $56.90, while gold remains becalmed at around 1266 Closer to home, Hong Kong home prices hit a record by rising over 13% in 2014, despite cooling measures brought in by the government. Prices of smaller flats rose higher by 15%. Analysts noted that price rises are likely to slow as a result of increasing supply this year. Twitter's figures have just been released and were better than expected, as advertising was higher. Revenues doubled, but the company has paired its losses. User growth has slowed, but it's still growing at 20%. Now, the Indian stock market has had one of its most purple patches ever following Prime Minister Narendra Modi's election. The Prime Minister's promised reform after decades of protectionism, choking regulation and what might have been. India is now the most populous country and in 2016 is likely to be growing faster than China. To tell us really whether this is a new dawn is Rikesh Merchandani, who founded the fund manager Ocean City Capital in Mumbai and who is with me in the studio. Well, Rikesh, is it really a new dawn? Absolutely, Richard. I think uh, there's so much promise in India back home right now. Um, You've seen global oil helping us a lot. And it's actually saved us over $14 billion in subsidy. And that even has a impact on the fertilizer subsidy. So that just gives a lot of impetus to agriculture and the economy in general. Now, this subsidy has been very important because there's been a subsidy on fuel. Fuel goes up, obviously a big burden on the government. As that comes down, less of a burden. Are they going to take it off completely? Well, they have deregulated uh, petrol completely and diesel is mostly deregulated by now all right so this the the idea of this government is to get you know minimize or probably abolish subsidies completely all right so that actually you can build in real growth in the economy and this is something which is carried on since um, i guess since many many years so this is a very very strong foot forward you know in the indian economy so this fiscal dividend dividend that's going to obviously help the indian taxation system and, and the debt but we're also seeing benefits too in, in not only in the budget but also in terms of the current account right so actually this is for the first time in this quarter you're looking at a current account surplus uh, of about 1.5 percent of the gdp and that's again a great indicator of what things are to come in india in the in the short and the long term and uh, tell us about what other policies the Modi government is bringing in that you think will make a difference. Well, I think um, everyone today is uh, in the government is very focused on socio and economic policies. Economics is what will drive India to the next paradigm. And uh, the manufacturing sector, which I spoke about the last time also on the show, is is the pet project for the government. Right? And, and what's that? Uh, the Make in India program, right? So we've seen uh, a whole host of German CEOs visiting the prime minister's office last week. Prior to that was the Obama visit. And, you know, the, the, the prime minister himself has gone out to hard sell India as a manufacturing destination all across the world. So when it's make in India, in the old days, make in India was we're going to be totally self-sufficient and that led to protectionism. But this is totally different. This is looking for foreign direct investment. That's right. Um, there's going to be a shift in the whole banking system. Uh, you've seen a, you've seen NPAs build up over a period of time. And I think uh, those NPAs are something which are going to get cleaned out with the RBI governor. And uh, obviously, the new chairmen of these banks will uh, be more cautious as they lend. And to... and. If you have to be walking the path of growth, you need more and more capital. And if that can't come from uh, domestic banks in the in the quantum that is required, you do need foreign direct investment coming into the country. Do you have a question? Oh, yes. I mean, given 
where China is today in terms of manufacturing capability and the poor infrastructure in India and the power situation, do you think India would be able to compete with China in terms of manufacturing? So uh, to answer your question, Puru, just about power, you've seen uh, a big leap forward where uh, uh, um, Prime Minister Modi has uh, assured that, you know, uh, nuclear non-proliferation with the United States is something that's going to happen. And that will provide, uh, you know, a relentless amount of clean power to India. We're moving forward on that. The auction process is completed for the coal blocks. So that's another major step forward. So I think power is one sector which is uh, which is right in the center of things. And the power minister himself wants to see in the next decade that no house in India goes without power. And just finally, um, uh, as we sit in China, I'm actually struck by the fact that uh, it looks like India's GDP growth, economic growth, is going to be higher in India next year than it is in China. Yeah, so India is growing at 6.9%, 7%, and uh, you're seeing China tapering down to 7%. So um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's great. I mean, India is actually catching up. Maybe the economy sizes differ, but the growth rates are, are probably pegged at the same level, and that's, that's a big positive. Well, thank you very much, uh, Rakesh. That's Rakesh Merchandani of Ocean Service Capital in Mumbai. Well, Hong Kong has one of the most simple tax systems in the world, thank, uh, which we're thankful for. Uh, the standard income tax rate is around 15%, corporate tax below 17%. The Asian section of the CPA Australia has put together a response to the upcoming budget statement on the 26th of February. To lead us through it, we have Paul Ho, Divisional Council Member in Asia for CPA Australia and also tax partner in ENY Hong Kong. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Good morning, Richard. Paul, lead us through the, the tax survey. Oh, it's rather than survey, it's more a list of recommendations for the financial secretary. Correct, correct. I, I think um, uh, based on the survey results, um, CPA Australia has come up with um, certain recommendations for the government. Um, basically, I think some of the uh, uh, highlights are uh, we're proposing um, or recommending to the government uh, to provide tax incentives uh, to help taxpayers save for retirement. Uh, and, and to help them buy their first home. Um, there's the second incentive is really for taxpayers to join the voluntary health uh, insurance scheme um, that is being proposed by the uh, Hong Kong government. And uh, I think the third highlight is really the tax incentives for uh, environmental and uh, innovation and tech startup companies, uh, giving them tax, uh, tax uh, incentives uh, to help them start up. When you talk about tax incentives, what exactly do you mean? Because, of course, with tax rates so low in Hong Kong, it's pretty difficult to motivate people on a relatively small percent. Right, right. I, I, um, in terms of the start tech up, I think what we're proposing is to provide them with super tax deduction on their um, on on their training, R and D, and equipment uh, expenses um, to to help them um, get started, and then also to provide them with a, with a three year tax holiday um, with those uh, on, or for those companies, so that um, uh, they 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 uh, it reduce their overall cost of uh, operating um, a business. Uh, at the in initial stage. Because one of the criticisms has been that if you get tax incentives that are really rather small and you're putting into, say, government health insurance programmes that are also quite small, that the, the coverage really isn't enough for people. 
so that, that's why I think we, we have been quite bold in terms of a couple of uh, incentives that I um, mentioned earlier uh, with respect to the tax incentives, uh, incentives for um, taxpayers to, sell, uh, to, to save for their retirement. So what we're proposing is to um, further the tax reduction for voluntary contributions to MPF scheme um, to, to up to a cap of 15% of the accessible income or, or 1,800,000 Hong Kong dollars per annum. Uh, I think that ties in quite well with the uh, government's policy of um, increasing the, the land supply and the housing supply over the five years so that um, the, the, the young people, the young families um, and, and, and taxpayers in general uh, have more incentive to save up for their retirement and for, 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 um, to, for contribution to their first home um, in terms of their first home deposit. Now, the financial sector has um, uh, or, or appears to have a, a habit of uh, dramatically under-forecasting the surplus for each year. Uh, what are you looking at uh, as a surplus for this year? We're looking at uh, $55 billion. So that's compared to um, the $9.1 billion that Financial Secretary estimated uh, yeah, back in 2014 in February. And also people seem to be looking at these particular groups, of course, the elderly, which we need to do something with, health, uh, all of these kind of things, uh, that we want a broader range of people to, to uh, benefit from. Um, uh, but it all seems to be rather focused. What about just uh, reducing the overall tax rate and giving a broader range of, uh, of benefits and subsidies for a wider range of the community? I, th- I think as CP Australia, we have been proposing to the government for the last uh, few years um, to really look at um, uh, the, the overall uh, Hong Kong tax system because um, it, it, the, the tax rules that we have now basically has been um, in, in, in force for the last over just under 40 years and there hasn't been a big reform of that tax system. So we, we have been proposing to the government to really look at um, a, a root and branch a review of the Hong Kong tax system to, 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 um, to address the, 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 the current market situation of Hong Kong. Now, now we have a huge amount of tax intellectual firepower in Hong Kong and I've noticed uh, most of the main big companies have also, the accounting companies have also come up with their proposals to the government but how useful is it actually making these proposals? Do you ever see any of them actually coming through in legislation? Yes, uh, we do. We, we have seen in the past um, certain uh, proposals being, being considered, being, uh, being uh, put through. Um, obviously, uh, when the government um, uh, uh, look into this uh, proposal, they, 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 they need to look at the bigger picture and also to, uh, I mean, they, they definitely have other considerations um, in order to in, ensure that this, the system is fair and equitable. Well, Paul Ho, thank you very much for coming to see us today. That's Paul Ho, Divisional Councillor of CPA Australia. The road is not for text messaging, nor for social networking. And of course, not for mobile games. Drivers should always be on the alert. Those who use mobile phones or tablets while driving are risking their lives. For safety's sake, keep your hands on the steering wheel and your eyes on the road. No distractions. Drivers should pay attention to the road ahead.
Well, it's that prize day of the year. No, it's not Christmas. It's not even my birthday. It's the day that the annual Feng Shui Index comes out. The Feng Shui Index is a tongue-in-cheek financial forecast for the coming year of the wood goat. And we have it here courtesy of CLSA and their soothsayer, Marco Yao, who's levitated into CS. In fact, um, I can tell you, listeners, Marco's in a suit, but if you look at him on the front page of the business section, South China Morning Post today, he really does look like a soothsayer. Good morning, Marco. Good morning, Richard, and good morning, Hong Kong. <laughs> uh, Marco, tell us, um, the Feng Shui Index is now in its 21st successful year. What's it saying for this year? Well, uh, although we do not expect this particular spectacular year for the Hang Seng Index this year, it's not doing bad either. We expect the Hang Seng Index to reach its peak in July this year, in the middle of this year. It may touch down a little bit at the end, but in, on year-over-year basis, it's not bad at all. And uh, what uh, particular uh, elements of feng shui are leading you to these conclusions? Our Feng Shui Index is mainly based on the birth sign Bazi of Hang Seng Index, which given its birth back in 1969, which makes it an earth rooster. We also uh, consider the five elements, the balance balance, and interaction of the five elements, but that means Wu Xing, months by month, in order to track the ups and downs of different sectors. Now, like a, a good forecaster, um, uh, you have uh, predictions that are almost as generic as possible, except I'm a monkey, and I, I found out actually that I'm supposed to have some unexpected expenses this year, presumably <laughs> on top of all my other unexpected expenses. So aside from that, they do seem to be fairly generic. What do you make of people who say it's maybe a bit too broad? Well, uh, you may say it's broad, but if you look at the track record last year, the year of the horse, our last, hang, our last Feng Shui Index actually looks just like the Hang Seng Index. And, uh, but how do you, is, is that because you're bringing some stuff in from your technical knowledge or business knowledge, or is that uh, completely feng shui related? Well, uh, I would say it's completely feng shui related because with the Chinese New Year coming, we CRSA believe this is a good idea and also a fun idea to study the pseudo science of feng shui instead of the dismal science of economics and finance, which we do every day. So, uh, our CRSA sector analysts may have different views, but, well, the main idea of this index is mainly for fun, not mm. for profit. Well, it looks as if it's not doing too badly. Now, tell us about property, because you've also been looking at property this year, isn't it? Yes, Hong Kong property is always a hot topic for us Hong Kong people. Uh, this year is, well, you know, for property investment is always about location, location, and location. This year, we found that both the Sansha, which means free killings, and also uh, the Wuang, which is responsible for long-term illness, both of them come from the West. So we would advise you, if you are considering a new home, avoid the West, like Chun Moon, Gold Coast area, but go for the North, like uh, Kutong, Camtin. But if you would like to live closer to your office, uh, North Point and Blam Hill would do. Uh, they're, they're still all right. And what about Central? Central is still cent too expensive. Central is always good, Richard. You know it. <laughs> I saw actually in some of your uh, um, press blurb that you were also saying that uh, there's a possibility of moving to the Spratleys. But that's further into the south, I guess. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, maybe. But uh, based on our functioning analysis, we believe that North... Uh, North will have quite a good luck this year, so maybe we can schedule another meeting later this year and you can tell me the answer. Let's we'll see what's happening. <laughs> now, you also look at, uh, the index also looks at the prospects of some well-known people. Uh, can you yes. tell us something about that? Uh, maybe uh, Carrie Lam, maybe, our chief secretary. Uh, this year, uh, 
Carrie Lam was born in a, a fire rooster year. Rooster is actually uh, not a good year this year because rooster will have some clash with gold. Uh, but in terms of love life, it's quite a good year. For Carrie Lam, because uh, she was born in a fire year and this year is go- uh, wood gold year, wood fits fire. So for Carrie Lam, this year is actually not bad. We expect her hard work will have pay off this year. Uh, good, I see. I, I'm a fire too, so that's all, all good news. Um, but there are also a lot of people, uh, well-known people, born in this year too. Bill Gates, uh, Li Keqiang, uh, Chow Yun-Fat. Yes, they were all born in the last wood goat year in 1955. So if you're considering to have a new baby, do it. <laughs> good. And uh, what else uh, with the Feng Shui Index are you recommending for this year that we look at? Uh, we would say... Uh, Maybe we have some sector preference for you that may interest some of your uh, 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 listeners here. Uh, this year, because it's the uh, wood gold year, so some metals and fire sectors, they will perform probably quite well, and which includes autos, electronics, hotels, gold and silver, oil and gas. But if you would really love to have s- some topics, three names to, rem- to remember, they are China properties, renewables and commodities. Very good. Well, thank you very much, uh, Marco. Marco Yao, who's the research associate in CLSA and our resident soothsayer for today. Um, Puru, uh, are you going back to your office and uh, investing in terms of the Feng Shui Index? Uh, <clears throat> unfortunately not. <laughs> I mean, we look at uh, price momentum. We based, uh, we invest on a trend-following system. And um, <clears throat> some of the sectors that uh, were recommended just now are in a bear market as far as I'm concerned. Um, Commodities look weak to me. I think the dollar is going to get stronger this year. I think the major foreign currencies are going to get weaker. And I suspect that commodities, precious metals, are going to remain weak for the next two to three years. Are you still a bull on the U.S. stock market compared to Europe? Uh, I think Europe is also going to do well this year. There's going to be some uh, catch-up because of the QE being unleashed by Mr. Draghi recently. We have seen now for the last three or four years that QE has done uh, benefited immensely as far as the stock market is concerned. So we've recently increased our exposure to European equities. We're still long uh, America. We're still long Japan. We've been uh, bullish about India for about a year. Uh, we've recently gone into the Shanghai Composite Index about four months ago. I think the China market is going to do exceptionally well for the next year or two, and I think the Indian stock market is going to do fairly well as well. Wow, you must have 110% of the portfolio invested. Oh, 100%, <laughs> not 110, <laughs> unfortunately. All right, that goes back to my youth. Um, well, thank you very much, Puru Saxena. Always good to have you on my the pleasure, show. Richard. And uh, just finally, the uh, market opening. Uh, markets are generally a little, little bit up. Uh, the Nikkei is up 0.8% at 1,760. The Australian index is up 0.4 at 5,787, while Seoul is just down a touch at 1,950. And then just to wrap, uh, we'll have the weather, uh, which is going to be cloudy and cold in the morning, dry with sunny intervals during the day. The maximum temperature will be around 16 degrees. Moderate northeasterly winds becoming easterlies later. And the outlook uh, for the weekend will be cool in the morning and at night with sunny periods during the day and in the next few days. The temperature at the Royal Hong Kong Observatory is 12 degrees C and the relative humidity is 76%. And now we'll have Samantha Butler with the news. 
A medical expert says Hong Kong may be experiencing the peak of the flu epidemic now and the situation could improve in a couple of weeks. So far this year, there have been 126 flu-related deaths. Dr Chi Chiu from the Medical Association's Advisory Committee on Communicable Diseases told RTHK that this year's flu season wasn't particularly severe if compared with others over the last 10 years. It is quite serious if you compare to the situation over the past few years. But it is not the worst. You look at the situation uh, over the last 10 years, then it is not the most serious one. And in fact, you look at our problem, it's mainly affecting those who have high risk, those who are older than 65, and those who have chronic medical illnesses. And in fact, these account for the vast majority of our mortalities. And if you look at other age groups, the trend is more or less similar to other the previous seasons. As fighting continues in eastern Ukraine, Western leaders have put forward new plans to try to end the conflict between government troops and pro-Russia rebels. Ukraine's President Petro Poroshenko said new proposals put forward by the German Chancellor Angela Merkel and the French President François Hollande gave him renewed hopes for peace. The fact that you uh, today here and we can have this negotiation